0: Welcome to The Winy Entrepreneurs, a podcast for business owners who sometimes feel alone in the daily adventures of entrepreneurship. We're your hosts, Shelby Bargies and Danielle Moore.
1: Hey, Shelby. Hey, Danielle. How are you doing? Great. Good. How are you? I'm wonderful today, and I am super excited to dive into our topic this week because it comes up all the time for me and I know that it's come up for you before too Mm -hmm. so I'll preface it with a little story a few months ago I had this client meeting it was going really well but then toward the end I felt like the client was asking a lot of really tough questions she ended up saying something along the lines of it's not in the budget for me right now I immediately shut down, which wasn't probably the best thing to do because what I realized a couple weeks later when she contacted me again was that what I had taken as a rejection had really been an objection. And learning the difference between the two has been quite the process for me because I'm not a pitchy type person. You know, I'm not jumping into a sales meeting with tactics. And I approach it a little differently. And yet I need to be able to recognize what is an objection and how to handle it. I'm wondering what you think of that situation and how you handle that when it comes up for you in meetings.
0: Yeah, I'm with you.
1: I'm not
0: what you would deem as a salesy kind of person and so it's I'm nowhere near where I need to be but I'm not someone who likes to use a tactic I've read in a lot of sales books or talking to individuals who are sales trainers they give you tactics I know for myself if someone is using a tactic on me, (laughs) I completely shut down and I get my backup and I'm like, I'm done. And therefore I don't wanna use that with my clients or with other people. I want it to be something that they see out of my passion. And often when, well, you continue with the example of, well, it's not in my budget. What, how I take that when someone tells me it's not in the budget is, I mean, it could genuinely not be in the budget, i also take that i also take it as i'm not showing them the value of the service and i think that that's a really important thing to think of when you are talking about your business, in quotes, sell someone on your services. Obviously, if you're having, typically, if you're having a conversation, they already are interested and they want to know more and being able to know that I'm sharing what the value is in a way that they understand. And I guess that's where sales tactics come in, but I don't want to do it
1: in a sales tactic kind of way. I agree with you. I think it's really important to be authentic in a meeting like that for me but i need to balance it with understanding how to push back against that objection and turn around and show them the value instead of just shutting down and giving up because i really do shut down Mm -hmm. a lot of times i feel like i want to be that person who responds well to social cues And I'm very polite, and I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to pressure anyone. But in a lot of cases, I feel after the fact, such as in this case, when this lady contacted me a few weeks later, after having seen me in a presentation, Mm -hmm. after that presentation, she came up to me and said, I totally see the value in this now. I get it. Let's move forward. It's going to be worth it. All I could think was, why couldn't I have pushed in that direction in the meeting. Why couldn't I have taken it that step further and shown her that value Mm -hmm. while I still had her sitting next to me? What in the presentation was it that
0: made her see the value versus your conversation? In
1: the sales meeting, I got really far into the how behind the services. So what is the implementation and execution piece? Whereas in the presentation that I gave, I got a little bit further into the theory piece and connecting it to a brand story Mm. and explaining how that brand story is going to actually play out in the execution piece. And that was what I think she needed to take it just a little further. So one of the things I've actually done to... Deal with that before it becomes an objection in a meeting is to take some of those pieces that people typically come up with objections for and actually work them into my, I don't want to say pitch because I don't like to give a pitch per se. And it's always more of a conversation, but I try and work it upfront into explaining my services and explaining my company and my brand and my vision so that those objections are already taken care of. Anything else that they come up with is going to be super specific mm-hmm. and workable.
0: Yeah, I love that. I would, that was gonna be my next question for you is, have you recorded it? And that's awesome. I think that's a really good for anyone out there, uh, that's a really good exercise to do with anything. One thing I do with any events that I put on, I do a synopsis after. I'm like, what did I do? What went well? What didn't go well? And so it's almost the same kind of thing that you did here that you, shared that you did, that you do is, okay, well, what didn't work and what worked well? And then being able to put that into your everyday sales pitch as much as we don't want it to be that it kind of is it is that and so there is value in it but you're what you're doing is taking real life examples and doing it in a way that's very natural to you and I think that that's that's the key
1: absolutely I also find that when you show that you've put some thought into people's objections they tend to appreciate it. So I'll say something like, this is something clients often ask me or have questions about, and this is what I've done to help you understand that or walk through it more easily, whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. And people appreciate that level of thought and forethought. And it also makes you appear experienced, right? Because they know Mm -hmm. that you've seen this before, or you've seen it all before, you're confident, you're comfortable, nothing is going to phase you.
0: Yeah. The best is when you're talking to a potential client and you go through the conversation and you ask them a lot of good questions. And at the end you ask them, do you have any further questions? And they're like, you've answered all my questions. So good. And I think that the, one of the biggest, takeaways of this story and and this type of objection is to learn from it and i i've personally found this with with my business is to constantly be taking anything whether it is an objection or an actual rejection and learn from it and be like okay how can i change that in the future what could i do and sometimes it's asking the individual specific questions and sometimes it's uh, just thinking about it and taking that time to mm-hmm. think about it.
1: Yeah.
0: I think it's really timely right now to have a little break to talk about our wine.
1: Yes. It's going down very nicely.
0: Yes. It's a very smooth, it's, a, it's almost sweet.
1: It is a little bit on the sweeter side for sure.
0: Yeah. So it is a cab salve. We're not going to share the name of it yet until the end of the episode, but... I'm really excited for that
1: because it's got a cool name. (laughs) Yes,
0: I agree. And I've actually had this wine before. And when I saw it, knowing the topic that we have today, not that we're always going to (laughs) be theming our wine. (laughs) But it's kind of fun. It was kind of a fun challenge to try and find one. And this one I like because you can drink it on its own and i'm not the best with pairing food and wine. i've done a little like some wine and cheese pairing parties in the past.
1: i should have brought my brie but, over.
0: oh yeah, i wonder if that would have been good. like <laughs> <Probably.
1: laughs> brie's good with anything, i think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's interesting when you actually intentionally do research and learn how they different wines pair together. it's good.
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact about me, I came from the restaurant industry. So I actually Ooh. took a, quite a fair bit of wine training and wine knowledge training. Oh. It was very interesting. And I think I came out of it with a lot of knowledge and experience, but I don't necessarily have the mind for remembering details like that. Mm. So some of it has been lost since then. And... I think not being around wine so much, and I don't drink it very often. I mostly mm-hmm. just drink it with you now. <laughs> it's changed it a little bit for me. So it's yeah. nice to get back into actually doing some tasting and thinking about the flavors. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah,
0: you'll have to figure out the legs and the tannins and...
1: yeah. Absolutely.
0: All right, everyone. You heard it here that Danielle is going to dig into her roots and (laughs) bring some more wine knowledge to us. Going to try anyway. Let's talk a little bit about what an objection is versus an actual rejection. You talked about the objection being price. What else could an objection be? It could be, I don't know that
1: this is the right service for me. It could be... Finding a fit mm-hmm. between client and service provider, I find a lot of clients want to find that right fit for them. Mm-hmm. It's almost just like an emotional feeling mm-hmm. that they have to test it out.
0: Yeah. And I think that that is important. I know for my business, being that I'm dealing with someone's wardrobe. I want someone to feel comfortable with me because I am going to give them guidance and advice on what they wear and the image that they present, potentially going right into their closet, which is a very personal space. With that, I want them to feel... I do want them to feel comfortable with me. And it might mean that they have to talk to a few different image consultants or wardrobe stylists to find the right one. And I would assume somewhat similar to you is you want them to be comfortable with your style of writing absolutely, and that almost them being comfortable with the fact that you could write in a style that works for them. I'm assuming that you kind
1: of tailor it a little bit. Yes, actually this is, it's interesting you brought this up because this is one of those pieces that I've added into my process, um, in order to help with some of those upfront objections, And that wasn't actually why I designed it, but it's kind of a nice side effect. I've just developed brand voice guides. So Mm -hmm. this is helping people establish that voice in the first place that is unique. It reflects their business, it reflects their value, it reflects their clients, and it actually connects to something. I love it because it gets people thinking about their content instead of just, can you write this for me? And I send it to them and they're like, check mark. It's good. Mm -hmm. Throw it up on the website. It actually gets them thinking about their content, not only written content, but actual verbal messaging for their Mm -hmm. employees and for social media, anything like that. So this is one piece that I've incorporated into my process that is also helping with those objections and the sales process as well. Mm -hmm. I've seen it already be so effective. I introduced this two weeks ago and it's already taking off. So I'm super excited about this. That's awesome. And that's so
0: good when you have a business to be thinking about what could some of those objections be or Mm hear like just experience them and then go and make a change because of it. Yeah. It was interesting. I had a client once say to me, it was someone who had sat in a presentation of mine who said, I assumed that you would try to make me look like you. And I didn't realize that you were going to make me look like me. Absolutely. And I think that that's a really, so just like the writing and your brand voice and just like Mm me, I, I took years to figure out my personal style and that's what I do with my clients is, or that's one of the things I do is help them develop their personal style and even their, their image, right? We all have our, we, we think a lot about branding in terms of companies, but we also have our own personal brands. Absolutely. And how we portray ourselves to the world, whether it's visually or written. So your brand voice as well.
1: How have you been dealing with the objections that you get? And what are your specific objections? Because they do change from industry to industry as well. I think there's a lot of common ones Mm -hmm. for you. What are the ones that come up most frequently? And then what have you developed in the last few years of running your business to combat those directly in a sales meeting or through your process or whatever it might be? Mm Well, similar to you, I found a lot of
0: it is budget. And so what I've done or started doing is I talk to them about the story ahead of time. It's like bringing them, well, we did some work in our results group intensive recently on understanding what what we're serving our clients with and why they would want to hire us. And typically it's not the how, like you talked about earlier it's the take me along in the process come into the story and for me it's going to be about can you imagine waking up in the morning and I don't just as a caveat I don't actually use this line but it's the feeling of it waking up in the morning and being able to take anything out of your closet and wear it and feel confident feel like you can conquer your day and you can and so Yeah. So I think that being able to take them in that journey and that story and really listen to what they're telling me, what, what are their concerns? Why have they contacted me? And I think that that's a huge thing is really listening and not just getting into, well, here's my process. Here's what I do. That's what I want. And my goal is that by the time we get there, they're like sold done. I don't care. Like, yeah. just
1: send me an invoice. And Take me through the process. I want to get to that end point where that's how I'm feeling. Waking yeah. up every day and just feeling good about what I'm wearing. Yeah. Which I think is so rare for people. Yeah. I know that for me, the days I can feel it on the days where I wear something that I'm not fully comfortable with. Or I just don't feel good about it. Mm-hmm. The entire day changes for me.
0: And mm-hmm. shifts.
1: So the, the importance of that is there yeah. for sure. And then you just have to connect with that. Yeah. Because the thought, if the thought process is, well, I don't really need someone to go shopping with me. That's yeah. something people do on their own. Yeah. That's where that budget becomes an issue because then they feel like they're paying for something that they don't necessarily have to. Mm-hmm. And everyone is budget conscious to a certain degree, right? Mm-hmm. We all like to DIY at some point. And a lot of people DIY their writing as well. So if you can provide the story mm-hmm. up front so that people can see the value right away, yeah. then you, first of all, you might not even get those objections. Mm-hmm. And second, if you do get those objections, you can shut it down with something that is emotional as opposed to physical. Mm-hmm. Right, huge. The emotional side of things is huge. Yeah, so sure, you can go shopping by yourself. Physically, you can go shopping by yourself and don't have to pay for that. But emotionally, having that support, having someone to soundboard your choices and say, that color is amazing on you, and I know that because I'm an expert, is a completely different experience and well worth what you're paying. Mm
0: And even I, I had a client once who said to me that she, after our shopping trip, she said that she felt so empowered now to go shopping on her own. And that was a profound thing to me because she didn't necessarily even think that that would be something at the end of the process that she would feel but it made her realize how much she wouldn't go into certain stores because she didn't even know what to look for, or she didn't even, she didn't feel empowered to go into the store and feel confident on what to pick up and what to choose. And after we work together, to me, that's, that's everything is being able to say that. So it's, I've taken that and be like, okay, so how do I now bring that feeling that she had at the end of, our time together and bring it into how I talk to people about my my business and so I've started using that word is feeling empowered because yes you can take the hundreds of dollars that you're going to spend on hiring me and you can go shopping but what do you do when those clothes don't fit you well or they end up in the back of your closet or they still have the tags on or you wear them once think about the cost per wear on those things. Right? <laughs> Absolutely, Like that's, that's huge. And so it's bringing some of those pieces into that mm. conversation ahead of time to help them understand what that's
1: going to feel like. Absolutely. And even what you just said, cost per wear is when you said it, I went, Oh, light bulb moment. I've, I've never really thought of my clothes that way. What is the cost per wear? Mm -hmm. So to have someone who can bring in those pieces for you and help you actually think about what is the cost per wear, Mm -hmm. especially me, because I'm terrible at doing laundry. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm very low cost per, or sorry, a very high cost per wear.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It sits in the laundry basket for a long time. Absolutely. Well, and in our, this is going on a big tangent right now, but even in our fast fashion world, sometimes it's easier to go out and buy something new instead of washing it, right? Absolutely. People do that. And, you know, I won't get into it too much in this episode, but to me, the environmental impacts are huge. In the fashion industry. And so part of it with some clients, if I hear them talk about sustainability or anything like that, I'm definitely going to get into my, my mission in terms of helping to educate people to understand the impacts of our buying decisions. And you know, if you have a piece of clothing that's going to last you for five to 10 years, that's better than continually buying things over the next or you're having something that's going to last you one season. Yeah, right? and then throwing it out and mm-hmm. it ends up in the landfill and
1: mm-hmm. you're just contributing to it.
0: Yeah. Anyways, that's a huge tangent from
1: our <laughs> It <laughs> <laughs> is, but projection. it isn't that's a specific re- um sorry, objection that you get, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: And then in terms of a
1: rejection, What has that looked like for you? Uh, Rejections for me. So I would describe myself, Shelby, as Mm non-confrontational, which is, I think, why I struggle so much with sales and this entire battle of objection versus rejection. I never want to have to sort of battle it out to try and get someone to sign up. I never want to feel like I've bullied someone into something which is probably not honestly the best quality to have when you're doing your own sales. But the rejection piece for me as a result of that is kind of like ghosting. You know, just like if you were on a dating app and you got ghosted by someone, it's someone just sort of disappears off the planet for me. (laughs) They just sort of stop replying. The one thing that I've done to combat that for myself. And this is for myself because I need to keep myself accountable for not just giving up and giving in at the very first sign of, "Mm, I'm not sure about this. So what I've done to combat that for myself is actually set it up so that in my organizational software that I use, I set it up so that I get a reminder after a certain amount of time to follow up with that lead and just check in Mm -hmm. it's just an email i'm not calling them i don't want to bug anybody Mm -hmm. but at the same time i have found those check-ins to be so effective in a lot of cases it's not that people don't want to use my services it's that they haven't really thought about it since that time that we met because their time is so precious and this is why they're hiring me in the first place right they don't have time to think about it so they literally have not thought about it right so just that simple follow-up email. And I like those follow-up emails because there's always some really good closure where someone will say, you know what, Danielle, it's it's not gonna work for me right now, but I am really interested in this in the future. And I think this is a great service. They understand what I'm doing now. Maybe they'll refer me to their friends. And if not, it's just, it leaves a better taste in their mouth and in my mouth. If Mm -hmm. I actually just follow through on that and check in yeah. instead of, oh, well, she just kind of disappeared off the face of the planet yeah. while I'm meanwhile thinking I'm responding to their cues that they don't want to buy in. Right. That's a, that even gets into, I don't know if you read
0: Brene Brown stuff, but she often talks about the stories we tell ourselves. So when something happens, we tell ourselves a story. So someone doesn't respond to an email that we sent them and we tell ourselves, well, they aren't interested. They have rejected me. And in reality, they're just really busy and they don't have time to think about it. And they just need that little nudge and be like, oh my goodness. Because you could catch them on a day where they're like, yes, I need you right now.
1: Can we get something set up? That is so true. And I'm going to have to pick up some Brené Brown because that (laughs) is absolutely. And I always think to myself, you know, because I'm a writer, I have quite a broad imagination and I do tell myself those stories. One of the ways I've found to counter that is through meditation of all things. But the meditation app I use is called Calm. In Calm meditations, they talk a lot about the stories that you tell yourself as well Mm. and sort of disengaging from those because those are figments of your imagination. We can take that so far and not just in business, but personally that can just go way too far. And I think it's a, it's a protection mechanism for us. So in some cases, you know, that serves us well because we're trying to think ahead, but at the same time you can't predict the future can't predict what other people are thinking. Mm -hmm. All you can do is take care of yourself Try your best and just be yourself and be authentic.
0: Yeah. And then you're going to attract the right people. And not that we're going to get into that in this episode, but it's when you have a very specific persona of someone who you want or is your ideal client, it makes it a lot easier if you are rejected by someone or receive objections or have told your whole story to go back to that and be like, okay, this is the person that I am marketing to or that I want to work with. Absolutely. And I know as a small business owner, often it can be like, I just need to, I just need a client. Yes. And it's easy to lose sight of, I want the right client.
1: I think what you just said is really important too. Yes, there's objections versus rejections, but then there's also knowing when those objections are not just objections for them, but objections for you. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's a sign of a certain type of client who's looking for a certain type of service when they have these really specific questions and they're very, you know, they're questioning everything. Yeah. That shows me, and it's hard to interpret that sometimes. Sometimes people, it's just in their personality to not be as trusting. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've had a bad experience before. You don't even know. Mm Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, you have to be wary of those instances because at times it could signal that disconnect already happening.
0: Yeah. And it's easy to feel once you start working with someone like that, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but it's easy to feel like I'm not living up to their expectations and almost to start feeling like I have to give them a refund or something like that when you don't. And this is almost getting into the ugly part of this, is how you feel and what you tell yourself. I think, I I don't know, I've told myself I should just give up. I should just give them a refund. This isn't working. When in reality, no, you're doing your work. They're just not the right person and the right fit. And that's where it might be time to part ways
1: That's why I like trial sessions with clients and I'll Mm -hmm. never lock someone into a contract. I don't feel right about that. I mean, for for a specific project, yes, we'll have a contract, Mm -hmm. but I don't lock people into ongoing services because there's no point in continuing that relationship if it's not a good one. That does not serve anybody
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and it's only going to end in wild emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You might as well let people come and see if they like it. No, it's not a free trial for me. I Someone told me a while back that you should never give your services away for free. Mm-hmm. And I've taken that very to heart, mm-hmm. which I think has served me well. Because yeah. people respect that as well when they're approaching you. Yeah, They know that you're not just trying to collect anybody you possibly can to do work for. Yes. So it kind of helps with that initial sales process as well and appearing as the expert and confident, showing them that what that relationship look is going to look like actually matters to you. Yeah. So I do like trial periods and test it out. See it for yourself. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Mm-hmm. If it is, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, it's a good fit. Well, and I like what you said about not giving your services for free.
0: I learned that early on because people don't... And I'm included in this. People don't take things seriously as seriously when they get it for free. And so so if you were to do your trial period at no charge, they're not going to take it the same way. Then if you're like, okay, here's the cost for the trial period.
1: And then we'll go beyond that. And you get paid what you're worth. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent now too. (laughs) Okay. So my book that I've been working on for 12 years is just driving me Up the wall. I've decided to finish it. So I signed up for a master course with a a business coach here in Edmonton. It's a significant investment, but it's almost the financial loss. Not loss, it's not a loss. Hopefully, if I actually get the book done, it's not a loss. Mm -hmm. But I realize that that significant financial investment is almost what i need Mm -hmm. to motivate me to just get this done Mm -hmm. it's very motivating to think at the end of this if i don't get what i wanted out of it (laughs) it's all for nothing so that investment piece is important when you're trying to actually hit a goal for real. It's like, if you got a personal
0: trainer for free, you're gonna take it a little less seriously than if you paid for it. You know, you pay, I don't even know what the rates are, but say you pay $60 for an hour or $70 for an hour of their time, you're gonna work your butt off because
1: you're like, I've invested my time in this. A hundred percent. Yeah. As soon as I pay for something, I take it thirty times more seriously. Yeah. Well, there's a good lesson. <laughs> that is a good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. So, actually, you know what? Let's let's circle this
0: back to objections. Especially when you're starting out in business and someone is objecting, it's easy to say, "You know what? I'm going to give it to you complimentary." Yeah. By you doing that, I think you touched on this. By you doing that, you're saying you're not confident enough in your services that they need to pay you for it.
1: Absolutely. You're devaluing yourself right off the get-go. You're devaluing what you're doing. What you just said about confidence, that's why it is tough when you're starting out. When I started out, you know, those kind of things happened and I sometimes offered things for free and it was fine while Mm -hmm. I was starting out. However, I've gotten to a point where I know the value of my services and I know that if you're not willing to pay for it, you're not invested. Yeah. You don't want the results that badly. Yeah. So why bother, right? At that point, it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of your time. So let's just, I will pass you on to someone else who's a better fit. I think
0: we should talk a little bit more about the ugly side of rejections. So as an individual person, so not just how you handle it in the meeting or how you take away and you change how you approach your services, but but it's that feeling when you're by yourself, (laughs) how you feel. I don't know if this ever goes away I've talked to people who've been in business for 10 plus years and they often will say that they still feel the same way. But when I feel like I've either been ha- received an objection that I wasn't able to overcome or I've been rejected, I feel to the core of my being like I'm not good enough. It's a mindset thing, and I think we're going to talk about this more in a future episode, but having the mindset of, okay, feeling those feelings,
1: but not staying there. It's really funny, and I'm sure this is how you experience it as well. You get way more wins than losses, and yet it's the losses that keep you up at night. And the wins, you celebrate them, you move on, you keep improving. Whereas you can get really hung up on losses, even though they are the 1%.
0: Yeah. Today I had a great win that I was so excited about. I, I wrote it in my victory log because I think that it's important to capture those wins. And then I had a bit of a loss later on in the day. And guess what I... thinking about right now Mm -hmm. i'm only thinking
1: about the loss and you'll be thinking about it all night Yeah, and it'll be you'll be thinking (laughs) about it a month from now yeah exactly and again i think that's our brains coping mechanism because you automatically go to how do i improve how do i avoid that how do i avoid that negative emotion how do i avoid that negative outcome in the future Mm -hmm. is that serving you well when it's something that you dwell on and dwell on Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I think of some of the worst moments that I've had in business. You know, I'm three years in now. And I think about some of those initial moments and they still bother me. Not to the point that I'm taking it extremely personally or thinking, you know, it's keeping me up at night. But and I can laugh about it a little bit now. Mm-hmm. Those are the moments that stick with you. And just trying to switch your mindset to focusing a little bit less on those fails, if you want to call them that. I don't want to call them that. Never Mm -hmm. mind. They're not fails. They're just, they're just learning opportunities. Absolutely. It's not going to work with everyone. Yeah. It is like dating. It's not going to work with everyone. Yeah. You can't have like a hundred boyfriends. This is the single (laughs) girl talking obviously. It's just not going to work with everyone, but it's not, it's not always going to be a good fit. And once you get to the point where you can walk away from it, such a good feeling. It is. You know, you've had this rejection, but it's not a failure. It's it's a win in that you don't have to try and push that client into your service, even though you know it's not going to be good for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I
0: think that's maybe a good note to end on. <laughs> I agree.
1: We need to reveal our very interesting wine. First of all, I'm just going to describe the bottle because the branding on this is very bold and distinctive, and yet very subtle. Like, there's not a lot going on on the bottle. There's no pictures. It's just copper-colored label in an interesting design. And the wine is called Sledgehammer, which we thought was interesting, Mm -hmm. given our topic, you know? Because it's almost like when you think of
0: sales or rejection, it's like the Sledgehammer coming down. It's like you've just, like... Whack me on the head on the head with the sledgehammer and just put me out of my misery.
1: Yeah, is kind of what. Yes, you get that. You feel like to be super millennial FML. You know. Yeah, you just sort of stop and wish that anything else could be happening. But yeah, it's a cab salve from California. This is so good. I honestly really enjoyed this. It was very easy drinking. It's the kind of wine that I almost didn't think about it while I was drinking it. So it wasn't stand out, but it wasn't distracting in any way. Cheers. Thanks everyone for stopping by. We will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode of the Winy Entrepreneurs.